This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another action-packed episode of Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, along with Bill Foster. Hi, Bill. Good morning. And Whitney Coker. Hello. And they put in so much work behind the scenes to produce this program. I just want everybody to know how much I appreciate their efforts behind the scenes and slaving over a hot uh, software package to bring you (laughs) wonderful episodes of Better Than Before every single week. And of course, we appreciate you. If you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, all you have to do is hit your subscribe button on Apple, iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, and now we are available on iHeartRadio. So you can pick up our podcast at a lot of different locations. And if you hit subscribe, you'll start getting more of those notifications on your phone when we release a new episode every single week. And if you're not a subscriber, of course, you watch our social media channels of Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, and we will always post that new episode. But if you like what we do and you want to make sure you don't miss one and you want it at your earliest available opportunity, just subscribe and please leave us a positive review. That would help our show out a great deal, and you can put down that you did something nice for somebody today. The Exponential Leadership Retreat is right upon us, and so you're just about out of time. $775 for three days with me here at the Clear Vision Development Group offices at 20 East Southampton Drive in Columbia, Missouri. And on the third day of the retreat, that's a Friday, June 29th, we're going to talk about creating your leadership brand. We're going to create massive action plans. I call them MAPS, M-A-P's, massive action plans to create your edge and create bigger and better results and identifying and applying various leadership styles. So day one and two is all about self-discovery and learning more about yourself, getting your benchmark metrics for yourself so you can see how you perform under regular conditions. And then Friday's all about putting a plan together on how you can go out and create better and bigger results and convert more of your potential into actual tangible results. And so looking forward to seeing you at the Exponential Leadership Retreat, June 27, 28, 29. And we're going to be talking very soon about a new workshop experience that I'm going to be launching about self-esteem. So I'm going to be doing a self-esteem workshop probably in August. I've just about got the date finalized on my calendar for when we want to do that, but we're going to be putting details about that on our website real soon. And that's going to be limited to just a few participants. 
and it's only a one-day workshop. If you think you need help strengthening and making your self-esteem stronger, who doesn't? I'm going to spend a whole day with a small group of people trying to help you with some tools to do that. Also today, since communication is our content theme here at Clear Vision, all of our blog posts and a lot of our tweets and Facebook posts and things revolve around communication. We've been doing that here on the show. A couple of weeks ago, we did the communication pie. And last week, you found out a whole lot more about us when we did the two truths and a lie game. Maybe I should play some of these games with our guests too, but I just didn't think about it at the time. But today, I've got a little exercise, so you guys are going to need a paper and a pencil. You know communication requires really good listening skills, right? And so I want you to listen to some questions I'm going to ask you. This is going to stretch your ability to really hear what I'm saying. So you got to really turn your ears on for these things. So number one, what do you put in a toaster? Number two. This is an interactive. So I want you to say the word silk five times. Right now? Uh-huh. Silk, 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 silk. Silk, 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 silk. Now spell silk. S-I-L-K. Okay, and then write down what cows drink. If a red house is made from red bricks and a blue house is made from blue bricks and a pink house is made of pink bricks and a black house is made of black bricks, what's a green house made of? 20 years ago, a plane was flying at 20,000 feet over Germany. If you'll recall, Germany at the time was politically divided into West Germany and East Germany. Anyway, during the flight, two of the people on board were flying in the plane, and the pilot, realizing that the last remaining engine was failing, decides on a crash landing. Unfortunately, the third engine also failed, and he has to attempt an emergency landing, and the plane crashes smack in the middle of no man's land between East Germany and West Germany. Where would you bury the survivors? In East Germany, West Germany, or no man's land? Without using a calculator, you're driving a bus from London to Milton Haven, Wales. In London, 17 people get off the bus. In Warrington, six people get off the bus and nine people get on. In Swindon, three people get off and four get on. In Cardiff, 11 people get off and three get on. And in Swansea, three people get off and five people get on. In Camdenton, six people get off and three get on. You then arrive at your destination. What's the name of the bus driver? Okay, are you ready to give me your answers? So first question, what do you put in a toaster? Bread. Bread. Yeah, if you said toast, you're jumping ahead in your logic rather than what comes out of the toaster rather than what goes in, right? Number two, I had you say silk five times and spill silk, and then I ask you what cows drink. I totally wrote down milk, but then I was like, no <laughs> water yeah, i put water okay yeah cows drink water if you said milk you were responding to the sound of the word number three what are greenhouses made of glass i put bricks but now that you say it yeah yeah glass. greenhouses are made of glass for the plants right yeah okay number four where do you bury the survivors east germany west germany or no man's land bury them where they came from then i don't remember where that was i put no man's land Okay. Well, you don't bury survivors. Oh. So if you said anything else, you were responding to the story and not not the outcome, right? 
Right. And number six, what is the name of the bus driver? William. Oh, because you're driving a bus. I just made one up. So apparently my name is Ralph. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's you, right? Right. So in the middle of the getting off and getting on, I said, you're driving the bus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use that one in the exponential leadership retreat, too, as kind of a listening exercise in a, a different way. It's kids on the bus and they're getting a cheeseburger or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the bus driver's you, so you should have written your own name down. So for those of you playing at home, that kind of tests your listening skills today on Better Than Before. Hopefully, you did well at home playing along with our listening test, kind of shore up your communication skills. Joey Garcia is a relationship expert and an obstacle obliterator, and she's going to join me next as our special guest on this week's Better Than Before. Are you ready to up your game? Attend the Exponential Leadership Retreat from June 27th through 29th. In these three days, you'll receive personalized leadership coaching in a small group setting led by Tony Richards. Learn to communicate like a leader, understand your motivators, and differentiate yourself from your peers. As a business coach and consultant, I work with leaders every day to help them up their game and lead their team to victory. During this leadership development experience, you will receive the tools you need to unlock your potential. Invest in yourself and gain the same access to Tony that his C-level clients receive. Register for the Exponential Leadership Retreat online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and today we've got a special guest. She's billed as a joy magnet, love expert, creative inspirer, and obstacle obliterator. She's a widely published poet, essay writer, and has written a book called When Your Heart Breaks, It's Opening to Love, Healing and Finding Love After an Affair, Heartbreak, or Divorce. She's also written an advice column for the Sacramento News and Review for 20 years. She's a relationship expert, and we're delighted to have Joey Garcia on our show today. Joey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you this morning. You bet. So excited to have you on today. And we've talked about some of your achievements and some of your accolades here, but tell us a little bit about your background. Well, um, my background's rather wide. I uh, worked as a reporter in newspapers, radio, television, and magazines. I've been a public relations consultant for corporations. And my heart is deeply engaged with personal growth, my own and that of others. So I've spent a lot of time in the personal growth field, just learning as much as I can so I can be as helpful and supportive to others as I can. I've learned a lot about art over the years because one of my neighbors who lives down the street in my neighborhood, John Fennell, who's also a professor at the University of Missouri, is quite the artist. And I also noticed that you're an artist as well. So you have all these creative outlets. How did you become an artist? Oh, thank you. It was a childhood love, and I, it's just something I kept going with. The same with writing. And I feel like one of the things that happens to people as they mature is they're encouraged to be very focused and singular. And I wanted to 
be more of a renaissance person in that I wanted to use all my parts. I wanted to learn as much as possible and go as deeply as possible into each one of my interests. So that's that's where I got engaged with art. That's great. And so you're a poet, you're an artist, you're a writer, you have all this stuff going. How did you become a relationship and a love expert? Well, curiously enough, the newspaper here in Sacramento asked me to write an advice column. Actually, they asked me to write a column. And I thought, oh, I could write a column about antics in the city council and, you know, political issues. We're in the state capitol. And uh, the editor said, no, 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 an advice column like Dear Abby. And I thought, I do not want to do that. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Some people really love to give other people advice. And that was not where my heart and interest was. But she encouraged me. She kept asking me until I said yes. And so I did a little test run answering questions from people in-house at the newspaper. And they The editor loved my work and asked me to do it from there forward. So it's been 22 years, and that's a fantastic run for an advice columnist. Sometimes the transition that we get into in our life comes from the most unusual places, right? So you've done that for 20 years, writing uh, a column. When did you first write? When did you discover writing? You know, I remember writing as a child and wanting to write stories and being very, you know, writing poetry and winning poetry contests as a child. And that, that was something that was a really powerful experience. The things that I love, just puzzling something out and spending time in solitude and, you know, just being engaged in that process of timelessness, not operating by the clock. I think creativity is really about living outside of that realm of schedule, right? So it's very powerful to uh, to do that. And I loved it as a child. And so I've just given myself more and more free reign to play in that field. That's awesome. I've heard various theories, and I always like to ask writers about writer's block. I've heard some people say that they believe it, that writers do get it. Other people say, no, there's no such thing as writer's block. It's our perfectionism that's getting in the way. What do you think about writer's block? Do you think you ever experience that? And if so, what do you use to kind of break yourself out of that? I don't experience writer's block, but I do think of it as being stuck in the ego. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of fear around how we might be seen Mm. and whether or not we'll be accepted and whether we are acceptable. And that's what comes up. That's really what comes up. When a writer is looking at a page or a visual artist is looking at a blank canvas, if there's fear that arises, I'm not good enough or anything along those lines, those kinds of fears, that's what stops someone from the flow that is trying to move through them to express itself on the page or the canvas. Do you think we've become kind of nitpicky as a society about the things that that we judge people over? Or do you think that fear is actually real? I think that there are real fears. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, because it's just a life experience. The issue is like any other life experience, are we going to engage with it in a conscious way? Or are we going to allow it to drive us unconsciously toward an outcome that creates chaos in our life? So it's always coming back to that reality of, you know, who am I? Why am I here? You know, 
who is the divine to me? Who is God to me? And how, how am I going to express that in my life while supporting and inspiring those around me? That's great. That's a great viewpoint. So when you have that and when you have those fears and you get stuck, what do you do to get yourself out of it? Do you have a routine you kind of play on yourself or a trick you use on yourself to get yourself going? Yes, it's not so much a trick. If I have a fear arising in me, one of the first things I like to do, if possible, is sit down with my journal and look at it. Take it out of the realm of my mind and put it on paper because somehow putting on paper for me, and maybe because I'm a writer, but it makes it less scary. It makes it more tangible and easier to face and deal with. If that's not possible, I will actually engage in a mental process of having a conversation with myself about the fear, asking myself if it's real and something I need to attend to, or if it's just drama. So that's kind of like the difference between intuition and instinct. You know, instinct is very fear-based, and intuition is like a clear reality kind of coming through me, like life coming through me. And that's what I end up doing. And if that doesn't help, I will reach out to my sister or a friend, someone in my inner circle that I I trust and who I know is very direct and honest and will tell me the truth. I love that whole concept of making it tangible because it seems like when we can make it tangible, it seems easier to deal with. Absolutely. So what people tend to do is just live in their head and not understand that for example, they're having an emotion, they are not the emotion, <laughs> or they're having a thought, they are not the thought. We have, what, 10,000 or more thoughts per, what, minute or second? I don't know what the actual stat is, but we tend to pay attention, close attention to the most dramatic and fearful and exhausting thoughts instead of noticing the other things. So that's one other task, not task, but um, tool that I use is just starting to pay attention to something else. Let's say I have a lot of fear going on that I will notice really beautiful things around me, things that I'm grateful for, people, experiences I'm grateful for. And by focusing my attention on what's working, on what's good. It kind of brings balance to the other so that I can find the middle path. Gratitude's a great tool to have in your toolbox. It works for me a lot. So another creative outlet that you've explored in the past has been a podcast. And I went to your website, listened to a couple of your shows. They were very good. It's on hiatus right now, but you're planning a new podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm doing a podcast called Start the Press. I've been working with a lot of authors, and I launched this year the Belize Writers Conference, which was the first writers conference ever held in Belize, and I established the country's first ever writer-in-residence program. So I've been working with authors and helping them find more publicity for their books. I find that a lot of the ways that authors have been taught to seek publicity just really don't work anymore in the new you know, field of how, let's say, a newsroom is really operating versus the kind of idea that people have about newsrooms based on movies. <laughs> right. So that's the podcast, Start the Press, and I've been doing presentations around the country, you know, teaching that technique. I have all these scenes from broadcast news that are playing out in my head now. If you're going to have to work, Belize is a great place to do it, right? That's right. I love going there. I've been working in Belize since 2004, working in the schools, providing free summer school programs for children in Belize and scholarships for kids 
in Belize. And that's been a great experience. And what it's taught me, though, is that literacy and literature in that country need to be elevated. So that's why I launched the Writers' Conference. And I was born in Belize. You know, I have a real connection to the country and lots of experience working there. That's great. I visited there a couple of times. You're a relationship expert. So you help people with relationship issues. What are some of the most common issues you see and help people with? Well, I think that across the board, most people lack good conflict resolution skills. They think they have them, but they don't. And going to a workshop on conflict resolution skills doesn't mean that those skills have been developed because they have to be practiced. And a lot of times people need sort of direct one-on-one coaching around conflict resolution. So that's one of the biggest things. And I think people, especially women, tend to confuse being nice with um, <laughs> with everything. So, <laughs> Well, give me an example. So they think they're being nice. Perhaps they hesitate to say something and really they're just being dishonest. They're not being direct and honest and truthful. It's the same, you know, the sort of trope, the joke about, uh, do I look fat in this dress? And men are afraid to say the truth because women will overreact. That It's the same idea. So women have learned that it's better to lie, and men too, better to lie than to tell the truth. And that's not helpful in a relationship. So how do you help people get to the truth then and help them with that? I mean, I'm sure it's very complicated, but just just simply, like, what's the root of getting down to being more honest with each other? Great question, Tony. And the root is a willingness to be honest with oneself. We really work to, you know, get to the point where the person, man or woman that I'm working with, a teenager, I work with teenagers as well, admit that they want people to be more honest. Usually everyone has stories about how hurt they are or how they've been betrayed because someone's been dishonest with them and yet they are, you know, continually dishonest themselves in big and small ways. So If they are more honest with themselves, it's much easier to be someone who will receive honesty from others, which encourages others to be more honest. And when people are more honest with each other, then they can be, you know, more trustworthy and more trusting because the reason people have trust issues is because they're dishonest with themselves. So that fear of losing a relationship or fear of hurting the relationship is actually going to undermine the relationship itself, right? Am I making sense there? Yeah, that that works, absolutely. And in a world where all of us wear masks to some degree, we all have a desire to be liked, we all have a desire to be accepted, we all have a desire to have relationships. Those masks vary, you know, in different people. My own philosophy with my relationship with my wife has just been, I want that to be the most honest relationship there is because I want something that's built on authenticity. And, you know, I have some friends too that I feel that I can be very honest with and they can be very honest with me, but it's so valuable to have that. True. The issue around masks or, you know, the Greeks that persona, right, is that people feel like they have to play different roles while engaged with different people or different arenas of their lives. And the truth is, when we talk about authenticity, we're talking about being consistent. We're talking about an integrity of, you know, connection. So I'm going to be the same person consistently in every arena of my life. We dislike when politicians have a different mask for each person they're talking to, right? But we ourselves are often 
fearful of being consistent. So it comes back to, you know, what kind of person do I want to be in the world? That's one of the things that I highly value about my relationship with my spouse is that, and I think I have a few close relationships and generally people who would be able to do this too, but I know I'm going to screw up, right? I know I'm going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, misuse a term or something every now and then. But I do have that relationship with my spouse where she always knows my intent and she always knows my heart. And I have to have that as a person. Do you find that in a lot of relationships? Yeah, intention is so important. And the way you've described it is just, you know, spot on. I think the thing is, you know, you over time, you've built this love where you trust each other. You're right in that, you know, no one is perfect. Everybody has issues. Everybody has drama and unresolved wounds. It's the same thing that we want teenagers to do, right? To see the whole person, not to see someone as all good or all bad, but to see someone in their fullness, which is, you know, their beauty and their gifts and their talents and, you know, their shortcomings and challenges. Because when we engage in that level of honesty of seeing someone as they are, they can be who they are and grow into the person they're being called to be. So we talked about conflict resolution. We talked about trust. What other components around communication do you think are important in relationships? Well, you know, communication, the word means to become one with another person. Communication, community, communion, it's about an experience of oneness, of union. And what most people do is try to separate from another person. So my classic story is I was in my house writing a poem, actually working in the back of my house, and I decided I should go to the front of my home and close the windows because it was getting dark. And I walked into my kitchen and there was a young man straddling the windowsill breaking into my house. I could have screamed and I could have grabbed a knife. I was in the kitchen. I knew where the knives were. And I could have said, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? Get out of my house. All of which would have been arguing with reality, which is a waste of time. But because I have such a long practice of this kind of personal development work and an awareness of myself and of union, I said, I just stood my ground and said, what are you doing with your life? And he froze (laughs) on my windowsill looking at me. And then I yelled it the second time, what are you doing with your life? And he seemed to ponder the question. And then he began to slowly withdraw from the window. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to confront a potential burglar in that way. But it's a story that and I have lots of stories such as that, but a story of engaging with someone as one. Now, I felt comfortable. He was a teenager. You know, I'm comfortable working with teenagers, etc. But I think what we tend to do in an argument or whatever, we tend to separate in a crisis rather than join. How do you get to a point where you can define that somebody's in a bad relationship? What does a bad relationship mean? That's a great question because, you know, it's different for everyone. And we do really like formulas. Human beings love formulas. But I think that a bad relationship is one in which there is chaos, in which there is control that is causing suffering. It's stagnant. There's no growth going on for either both as a couple. And that there is an absence of genuine love. 
people tend to think an absence of love is really that loss of the kind of highs and lows of infatuation. And they don't understand that that's supposed to go away. But really, an absence of love means that they're, they're not putting their partner, the relationship, their own personal growth first, which, you know, has to happen. Yeah. And so when that happens and people kind of fall into that, why do people continue on in those kinds of situations? We come back to fear. And there's sometimes fear that comes from religion. You should stay with the same person your whole life or you're a bad sinner. You know, there's fear that they themselves have done something wrong or they won't find someone else. There's fear of being alone. Lots of people are not comfortable with solitude. They are dependent and they don't think that they have enough capacity for independence. There's so many reasons why someone would stay in a bad relationship. And, you know, that was a tradition for many people for generations. It's only really in the very tail end of the 20th century, beginning of this 21st century, that people have begun to say, you know what, marriage is great and not being married is great too. Being single is great and being married is great too. Living with someone's okay. And, you know, these are all just lifestyle choices, not a judgment of someone's spiritual capacity or lack thereof. So let's back up to the other end of the relationship. You meet somebody and time is going by and, you know, it's escalating as far as the time you spend with them and all of that. But what would be ways that you really want to get to know the other person in a relationship before you take, you know, the next big step with them? One of my favorite ways of discerning that and sharing it with others comes from a friend's husband, actually a former spiritual counselor that I went to, her husband, who is a corporate trainer, said to me that he suggests that no one go into business unless they've seen their potential business partner sick, angry, and drunk. (laughs) Not at the same time. Right, right. You know, not that everyone drinks or should be drunk, but his point was seeing someone at their worst and how they behave towards you will teach you a lot about the reality of that person. It kind of goes back to the earlier question you posed about personas, about masks. Those are situations when someone's mask is off because they are so vulnerable because of the situation and we do get to see them. So that's one of the things about, you know, can you stand your partner at their worst? Because that's going to happen in the relationship. So if you can stand them at their worst, then loving them at their best is easy. Is there any uh, one or two top pieces of advice you could share with our audience here as we get close to the end of the time together? Well, I think one of the really important things about love is to understand that telling someone the truth is an act of love. And, you know, being someone to whom the truth can be told is an act of love. Learning to heal our own wounds instead of walking around and saying, you're just like my father or you're just like my mother. Healing our own wounds is the greatest act of love of all because it affects not only ourselves, those around us and really everyone we encounter. Yes. In my model of coaching people, it's take care of yourself and grow yourself Step two, take care of your relationships and grow your relationships. And I think those two things are extremely important, no matter what you're talking about. If you're talking about a career, you're talking about a marriage, you're talking about partnerships, relationships play such a huge part in our lives. And a lot of us 
myself included. I mean, we could all get better at it. And I always joke, you know, I'm called a relationship expert because that's a very quick and easy label. But I'm learning. And obviously, with my story began with me not wanting to to do this work, then I can understand and others can understand that expertise is an ongoing experience of study. And that includes self-study. Joy, you've done so many creative things and you continue to do them. I'm just kind of curious, is there anything else you think you'd like to try or do you haven't done yet? Well, great question. I'll be walking the Camino de Santiago this summer, and that'll be a lot of fun to be on that pilgrimage and take the ancient path and working with a literary agent to get my novel published and hope to have that out next year. So we'll see what happens next. That's great. I'm so glad you joined us today. So much good information to share with our audience. I've got a standard list of closing questions I want to ask you, and I'm going to shoot these to you one right after the other. Are you ready? I am. All right. Best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? Oh, I think <laughs> probably the first time I went to Disneyland. It was a surprise my parents gave me. It was fun. Number one hero in your life? Wow. Um, my sister. Why is that? Because she she and I are so different and she loves me without condition. But boy, she can whoop me upside the head and set me on the path <laughs> again. <laughs> Top value you subscribe to? Honesty. Most important person in your life? Again, probably my sister. Your favorite thing? You know, uh, silence. Your favorite food? Chocolate. <laughs> I think I may know the answer to this, but I'm just going to ask. Most beautiful place you've been to? Belize. <laughs> yep. thought that's what you'd say. Yeah. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Oh, hmm. integrity. How do you want to be remembered? As one who loved and taught love well. Advice for a younger Joey Garcia. Just go for it. <laughs> Good. What's your favorite sound? Silence. And the best lesson you've learned? Oh, the best lesson I've learned is that things are not the way they seem. So go deeper. Always go deeper. Peel back another layer and you'll get the nectar you're looking for. Phenomenal. She's a joy magnet, a love expert, creative inspirer, and obstacle obliterator. Joy, tell everybody how to find you and tell them about your website and how to contact you. Yeah, joeygarcia.com is my website, and I would love to connect with people there. I have my blog there, and you can also connect with me on Instagram. It's askjoeygarcia, and on, on Twitter at askjoeygarcia. All right. So honored that you joined us today and sharing a lot of relationship advice and just sharing some of yourself with our audience. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tony, for reaching out. I'm so glad we connected on Twitter and I look forward to continuing a partnership together. You bet. Joy Garcia, everybody. I'm Tony Richards. I'll have your leadership lesson, your business lesson coming up next on Better Than Before. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com.
Hello, everyone. Tony Richards here. Better than before. Thanks to Joey Garcia for being on with me today. I learned some stuff about relationships. Hopefully you did too. It's definitely something that we all need to work on. And in our galaxy of you model, we always say you got to grow yourself. Then the next step is you got to grow your relationships. And Joey gave us plenty of things to consider. I love that story of when she caught the guy breaking into her house. And uh, she asked him, what are you doing with your life? I love that story. It's that time on the show where I'm going to give you this week's leadership and business lesson. And one of my favorite quotes that I use often, and it's one that it just came to me years ago, but your destiny requires diligence. Whatever you feel that you're supposed to be doing, whatever your contribution is supposed to be, whatever you think your gift is, it's going to require some diligence on your part in order to make that happen in reality. And today I want to talk to you about diligence as a learned skill. In every circumstance in which we undertake something, we experience a certain outcome. Some are incredibly good, some are incredibly bad, some are great, poor, okay, so-so, and catastrophic. Believe me, I've experienced all of these outcomes, everything from poor, great, okay, so-so, and even more in my lifetime. If you follow my recommendation to make at least 20% of your reading time in a year to be biographies of high achievers, you'll find they've all experienced these and more in a variety of outcomes. At the same time, you'll find in particular areas they achieved outstanding outcomes and results. Take Albert Einstein, for example. He was horrible at relationships, and he was terrible at being a husband. He was not an expert at social relationships at all, but he achieved exceptional scientific outcomes. And it doesn't matter if it's George Washington, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Sam Walton, Benjamin Franklin, Steven Spielberg, or a host of others. They had all had outcomes also. They managed to achieve at least some exceptionally great outcomes because they learned one specific principle. It doesn't have anything to do with your background, has nothing to do with your education, or maybe even your intelligence. It's learning to practice the learned skill of being diligent. It's unfortunate, but this particular skill is pretty rare. Today, most people are driven more by instant gratification rather than developing diligence. Push a button and whoop, there it is. We want as much as we can get as fast as we can get it. We want to order it on one side of the building and pick it up on the other in just a matter of minutes. As one writer said, one jelly donut is yummy, but three will make you sick and six is an eating disorder. We all have a natural tendency to follow the path of least resistance. The good news is we have the ability to choose and we can choose to follow a path of greater resistance and develop diligence to accomplish exceptional outcomes. It's easier to quote someone else than have an original thought. If I haven't at least moved you to think about becoming more diligent, let me share a couple more benefits to being more diligent with you. Number one, you get the advantage In many situations, we're simply competing with ourselves. As a friend of mine used to say, we have met the enemy and the enemy is us. Yes, as my alarm goes off every morning at 4.45 and my body screams at me to go back to sleep, it doesn't want to get out of bed and go through stretching exercises or maybe drive to the gym, do a cardio session followed by arms or cardio session in legs, followed by driving home and making a thorough list of that day's appointments and activities, and maybe even an hour of reading, my developed skill of diligence answers and gets out of bed. 
It's an advantage I have over what my body is saying. Your head and your body are saying things to you, and the advantage is when the voice of your developed skill of diligence answers. Number two, you become a creator of your future, not a victim of circumstance. Our culture is producing more and more victims of circumstance. You can always find someone who has worse circumstances than you. You can always find someone who's had to overcome more than you. I've got a friend who was an NCAA 2011 wrestling champion named Anthony Robles. He was born with one leg. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. You ought to get down on the floor and wrestle someone 125 pounds and only use one leg and see how you do. Anthony would not be stopped, and today he travels around the country inspiring others to create the future rather than being a victim of circumstance. He could have easily chose the latter. Number three, true fulfillment and satisfaction can be yours and on purpose. Don't be lured in by people with the get it easy and get it quick scheme. Speakers who have no real background, history, or track record in what they're pitching you. A lot of people can develop speaking ability, but not as many people can develop diligence and positive results. There's a difference in having a force of personality and also producing exceptional outcomes. You might want to check up and ask a few questions about the real and true results someone have produced before you take their advice. And number four, you will be in control rather than being the controlled. This speaks for itself. Don't be on autopilot. Be a creative producer in your life, not a controlled consumer. Who decides how much you spend? Who decides how you spend your days? Who decides how much money you make? Get in touch with the reality that no person is actually keeping you from producing exceptional results. You're not a victim of the economy. You're not a victim of the environment. Those things are temporary and can be changed. The diligent people change those things. Victims wait and hope someday somebody will change it for them. Victims believe no one is willing to help them. But creators and people who have diligence get in control and figure it out. I got a couple of things I want to run past you. Number one, on a scale of one to ten, do you have a ten in the area of clarity on what exceptional results would be for you? Number two, can you commit to persist through tough times, disappointments, and failures without taking a U-turn backward? Number three, can you begin to work smart, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-bound? Four, can you put aside your personal ego and take some straight talk about your plan and your performance? Number five, can you perform consistently, achieving higher levels of practice and effort as time advances? Six, can you work diligently to hit timely benchmarks and outcomes when they come due? Number seven, can you sacrifice working on your favorite things and instead work on the most effective things? Eight, can you focus on giving your very best on every task you do rather than being lazy on some and really diligent on others? Number nine, can you focus on having a beginner's mind in which you put aside all you think and know in the pursuit of learning something new? Number 10, can you change your perception of yourself from victim of circumstance to creator of my future? And number 11, can you submit yourself to someone else who can put some rocket fuel on what you're trying to do? Just some things for you to consider from this week's Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards. Until I see you next time, remember, everything gets better when you get better.
Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.